podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Those, uh, those interviews from the down at Carney's Community Gym in Battersea. One thing we forgot to talk about in the first half, chaps, was uh, Jarrell Miller <laughs> uh, and his yeah and his um, drug test failure um, for HDH, EPO, and another steroid that has a really long number and I can't remember it. Um, who do we think Joshua is going to fight? Uh, it, a, a wild card, and that would be Andy Ruiz Jr. Yeah, um, that who, looks likely. Did you know, win his last performance, fast hands. Um, but to be honest, at this point, it's one of those things. Like again, I think the other day, Colin Hart said, you know, perhaps pull the fight um, because you've got to think of it in this way. Anthony Joshua makes his debut in Madison Square Garden. You'd want it to be special, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's something a little bit special at least. And to go in there and just sort of say, well, we've contractually said we're going to fight on this date, and then we end up by fighting. To a better extent, a bum maybe. Yeah. It's not going to be exactly the the thing he wants to remember Madison Square Garden for. So I mean, they're talking about Michael Hunter as well. You know, it's mm. far too small compared too to small, Joshua. Isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it's hey, you know, we're coming back to the best fight and the best again here. And you know, Tyson Fury, um, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. Uh, None of them are fighting anyone that sets the pulse race. There we go. Really, is there it? And it's you know. He's talking about Michael Hunter, and I like Michael Hunter. Lovely, uh, lovely guy, comes across great. He was interviewed in the previous issue of Boxing Monthly as well, and I really liked his performance against Dimitrenko. He boxed really well. Akoli. Um, you know, he's a good fighter. Boxed Usyk as well, and you know, did okay against Usyk. Um, but I would like to see Joshua. I think the best of the bunch is Louis Ortiz, isn't it? But he wants he yeah, wants life changing money, what, doesn't what, he? What message do you send if you take a guy out for PEDs and then you bring another multiple PED yeah. sort of user in? Yeah, I don't think you can. No, um, no. Joshua said to me and other people that he, he struggles with the smaller guys, you know. And so I I think that with someone like Hunter, Hunter's not going to beat him, yeah. but I think he's going to be pesky and should yeah. last a few rounds. I think, obviously, if they delayed this fight, you're losing one of your mammoth Joshua paydays in a year, yeah. which is obviously millions in, in, in the bank. Yeah. You, to rearrange something, you're basically, you're, you're going to have a one fight 2019. Yeah. So, in the UK, Joshua against any of us would be a draw. Yeah. It doesn't really matter who he's fighting. Yeah. And Sky will build it up, you know, yeah. whoever it is. I think... Short notice, Hunter and Ruiz are both acceptable yeah. uh, opponents. So I think it's kind of bemusing and slightly worrying why so many people with eight weeks' notice who don't have to make a weight limit in the heavyweight division can't fight a, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity against Joshua. And it's the heavyweights as well. Mm. We've seen plenty of... You know, Rackman, Lewis sort of things. We've seen plenty of things where the, the late... You know, where, where someone just comes in and gets that shot win... Why? Why are they not going to be ready? It, it doesn't fill you with great uh, belief that everyone is preparing in the way they should be preparing. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It doesn't look good. You should yeah. be having 25, 30 guys saying right, yeah, yeah, because there's such a queue, isn't there? Yeah, and you know that it's going to go pretty with Joshua having multiple belts. It's going to be mandatory, mandatory, mandatory. 
So if you're not a mandatory or you're not a mega fight like a Wilder or Fury, yeah. then this is a, a, a chance for like a, a guy that wouldn't get that shot to take it. Why wouldn't you take it? Yeah. Mm. You've got a chance. Life-changing money. You know, Joshua's mm. not impregnable. He will lose to someone unexpected at some point. Yeah. To happen your CV as well that you fought for the heavyweight title, you know, heavyweight exactly. championship, you always I, get um, fights. I wrote a piece the other day about Bruce Woodcock. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, back in the 1940s, and uh, he fought against uh, Lee Savold for the vacant title. I think it was 1950, something like that. So, and uh, which was that... technically recognised as the world heavyweight title. So, we go. if you've got the list of people and you see Lee Savold in there, but technically that was recognised by the Border Controls world title, wasn't it? Oh. It Lee absolutely Savold. was. Yeah. And, and Lee Savold only fought twice after that, mm-hmm. and it, it was two losses. But if you're going to lose, here we go. It was against Rocky Marciano and, uh, and Joe Lewis. They're, oh. they're great losses to be having on your CV. But had you have not fought Bruce Woodcock for the vacant title in the first place, and there we go. Now, we're not talking about a vacant title here. We're talking about Anthony Joshua. Obviously, a very tough fight for absolutely anybody. It will go one of three ways. You either get absolutely blitzed, you give a good account for, of yourself and lose, or you win. Mm. Now, if it's give a good account of yourself or you win, then it doesn't matter if you get paid five euros. It's like, I remember Rocky Fielding saying when he went to Germany and he fought for the title mm-hmm. and uh, and he said, they could have given me 20 euros and he said, at a hotel and said, there you go, Rock, you know, you're on your way. And he said, yeah. He said, I'd, 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 I'd have been off. Everyone knows that, you know, you win the world title, then that's your ticket to earn money from there on. And he got, what was it, the million dollar paycheck for um, to fight against Canelo. And that yeah. was that. So, you know, he's going to have the fact that he fought against Madison, uh, fought against Canelo at Madison Square Garden, irrespective of the result. He's got that on his CV. He's always got that to look back on. So, yeah, as Mark was saying, why are people not queuing up to say, let me have a crack at this, you know? So, yeah. but possibly it could be that none of them are in, in the condition. Yeah. It's heavyweights, though. I mean, that's, that's the thing. We're not, we're not talking a couple of weeks' notice. You know, you're talking from a fight in June, and this was what, about just about 10 days or something into April or two weeks I mean you've got you've got enough weeks seven seven to eight weeks I think they had I just find that very very strange in the past you would have had all comers you know yeah. and you get you know this all the smoking Burt Coopers and people like that in the past everyone would be piling in yeah um, do you think it's just because of the politics of all the TV networks and all the all the uh, promoters that we have you know some, at the minute some, particularly some, in America some fighters tied up yeah but there's enough people in there, yeah. and I, I just find it very surprising that people haven't, you know, put yeah. themselves in that bracket. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think you're right. I think it's going to be Andy Ruiz Jr. or it's going to be Michael Hunter. But as the well. pay per view will sell. Of course, it will sell. Yeah. And I, both of those are capable top twenty heavyweights. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what they are. They're not yeah. top ten, but they're top twenty. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Ruiz is, like you said, they've both got fast hands, they've both got, you know, they're both smaller guys, and if Joshua, like he says, struggles with them, it could be interesting, hopefully it is. The natural of the two would be Ruiz Jr. He's, he's got his one loss, majority um, points oh. lost against Parker. You know, contested as well. Contested. In New Zealand, um, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I like him as well, because he's um, he completely goes against the, the grain in terms of what a fighter should look like. Yeah. You know, he hasn't exactly got what you call like a front page GQ body on yeah. there. But um, but hey, you know, Tim Witherspoon um, was hardly Tony known. Tubbs. Is Tony a, Tubbs is a great example. He had very fast hands for a heavyweight. Butterbean. But but Eric, Eric Etch, you know, I mean, yeah, Eric Etch. yeah, the, the the king of the three rounders. But I mean, uh, but yeah, listen, the, the difference is that uh, Ruiz Junior can actually go twelve rounds, um, yeah. despite his the way he looks. He's actually got a good engine on him. Yeah. He's got very fast hands. He could cause problems. So that said, Hunter will probably be the one they'll choose. Yeah. The smaller, more vulnerable guy. Yeah, I, I, I think I don't think that 
they're going to want a southpaw uh, as a late. And you know, obviously, Ortiz is, is highly dangerous. But I think with Ortiz's sort of uh, sort of PBC sort of affiliation, the natural for Ortiz is is a wild rematch, which will sell and Wild will win that more impressively. Yeah, yeah. Whenever they fight again, but he has not. That, looked, that, yeah. That's that's where it will be teed up for. Yeah, know? and I think that's why he's not taken, or he's at least priced himself out. Of the because fight. also, whatever you think of the PBC, you know that. There's going to be other fights for... And they'll be paid very well. In the heavyweights, are a little bit more active than the other weights. It's not like poor old Gary Russell Jr. No. just once a year. It's such a waste for someone that good. I don't blame him, though. Yeah, I mean, you know... He's been talking about retirement for two years. Mm, it's a shame. He's just happy to box once a year, make a couple of quid, and then go back go back home. I, I blame him, I really do. I, I just don't think he wants to... I don't think he's that... I don't think he loves boxing. I don't. I think he wants... He's good at it. He's bloody good at it. Um, I just don't get the impression that he loves it. He doesn't have the his blood anymore. No, like I said, he's been talking about retirement for a couple of years, and he's 27, I think. Still, it still holds out hope for the, the Lomachenko rematch. Yeah, but that's unlikely with the affiliations. You would, you would think. Yeah. Um, and what? And why would anyone want to see it when Lomachenko? I think, I, I think Lomachenko is, is, is what opponents do you have for Lomachenko. I mean, yeah. Crawler went in through the mandatory, and that. We didn't have high expectations of that fight, but it went no. underneath those expectations. Yeah. With Lomachenko, at this point, he just needs big fights, big names. And the, the, the one you would want would be a Javante Davis or something. Yeah. I'd know. like to see him in Mikey Garcia. Yeah. Garcia, yeah. of course. Yeah. Garcia or Davis, you know. I think yeah. he's relinquished his WBC title now. But, um, yeah, he has, yeah. But yeah, be good to he's see He's emeritus him. champion now. So. He can come back. Yeah. So, so just like... Uh, just like obviously, well, Klitschko's the funny one, Vitali, because I remember interviewing Maurizio a long time ago, and Vitali retired a couple of years. So Vitali decides he wants to come back, like now, he can fight for the title. I was like, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, it is a mad thing. Emeritus pretty much means, yeah, you know, you, whenever you, you like, got a free pass. Well, because how long was Vitali out for before he boxed San Peter for the title? For three years, was it? It was a lot, yeah. a lot. It was three, four years, and he was he was champion of Mertius then, mm, yeah. and he came back and he got the title fight straight away. And I think Vitali could come back tomorrow against Wilder, and I think he'd give a good account of himself to be honest, because that's a tough man. It's a very t- he's, yeah. He's a, he's a very very tough man. I remember seeing him in uh, in Vegas, and he did, he was he was going to fight Danny Williams, and I, and I said, you know, what do you think of the Danny Williams fight? And he just burst out laughing <laughs> <laughs> before he'd fought him and all these Germans going oh, 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 around me something like that I said yeah okay. <laughs> and then he sort of elaborated more on it but yeah, needless to say he wasn't worried and he had no reason to be when we see ask him about Pele Reed next time <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah the video footage of him getting knocked out cold in his kickboxing days yeah someone once said to him you've got very good hands instead Wow. That was a great bit of advice. Mm-hmm. So, uh, very, very vicious heavyweight. One of only four heavyweights, if memory serves me correct, to retire as heavyweight champion in the world, whilst heavyweight champion. So, right. him, Lennox, Rocky Marciano, and Gene Tunney. Yes, sounds right. That sounds right. All the rest just had that one fight too many. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you guys have been writing, boxing writing for, how long, how long have you been writing for, Paul? Uh, literally a fraction compared to, uh, to 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 you guys, without a doubt. So I um I've worked in three industries in my life. I um I started off in the catering industry, you know, for about a decade, and uh, and then for about thirteen years I was working in the charity sector. Right. Um, I kind of overlapped with the boxing writing um uh, sort of during that time, about sort of seven eight years back. Um, I used to live in Kingston and uh, 
there's a guy called Grant Miller, lovely chap who runs a daily sport. And um, I was off to a, to a boxing match in uh, Denmark. Uh, Mikael Kessler was making a sort of bit of a comeback fight. I think it was after the World Boxing, sort of not the World Boxing Super, the Super Six, where he, he right. damaged his eye. And he fought against Alan Green at light heavy and threw an almighty left hook after hitting the canvas, got up, came back, and then knocked Green out cold. And yeah. that was it. So um, I remember doing a, a little write up about that. And, uh, and then Grant very kindly sort of said, you know, do you want to do some more stuff? And I went, yeah, absolutely. So, so I started interviewing people left, right and center. And um, at the time through the Down Syndrome Association, um, I got to know Mark Tibbs quite well because um, in Mark's family, um, he, he, he's, uh, he has a nephew with Down Syndrome. So um, Mark very kindly raised some money for, uh, um, for, for the Down Syndrome Association and um, through various events, put on an exhibition about once, um, which raised us some money. And uh, I'd always kept in touch with Mark, absolutely lovely guy. So um, I started clocking up loads and loads and loads of interviews. I was doing like five, six interviews a week sometimes. And um, uh, Grant very kindly gave me uh, the, the credentials as boxing correspondent for the Daily Sport. So I, I was pretty much going to any fight I want. And he, in, in the early days, he introduced me to a lot of good people. And that was it, you know. It, um, so I, I wasn't getting sort of paid for the stuff, it was all for the website, but to have been given that opportunity, I'll always eternally be grateful to Grant. So, um, not, not to mention some of the part. So, um, yes, yeah, so I, I was in India and um, I'd actually, no, what happened was I'd read a book about a guy called Eric Mason. And in that book, he mentioned about two families he thought had been hard done by in terms of by the law system. And it was the Richardson family and the Tibbs family. I thought, oh, the Tibbs family. So I thought, oh, you know, no mark and, and that was it. And then it kind of played in the back of my head. I thought, oh, you know, his dad Jimmy's got a phenomenal life story. I wonder if he'd ever have his book written. So anyway, didn't think anything of it. Go to India, walking down this dusty old alleyway, see this faded sign that said Tibbs Frankie, I think the original hot dog from Bombay, fast food sign. I thought, this must be a sign. The Tibbs name has come out again. So I got back, I got in touch with Mark, and I was expecting him, I basically said, you know, would your dad ever think about it? He says, you know, he's been approached many times. And, uh, and that was that. And we're talking about over about 15 year period he'd been approached and sort of said no. So I went and went with Jimmy and after about three hours, and he, you know, grilled me sort of quite heavily. He said, uh, let's do this. And I was like, wow. So uh, bearing in mind, I was business development director at a, a charity at the time. And um, I just agreed to do Jimmy's book. So I thought, right, so I've just come out of the TKO gym in Canningtown. I walked out took a bit of a breath and I'm walking on the way to uh, the tube station. I thought to myself, right, Paul, get this in perspective. You've agreed to write someone's book here. You've never written a book before. You have absolutely no idea how the publishing side of things work. You have no idea how the commercial side of things work. You failed English three times at school at GCSE. So you're not, you know, naturally that gifted on the, uh, the writing, the grammatical and the sort of spelling front of whatever else. And there was a few other factors like I needed to take a sabbatical so all of this thrown in, I thought, you can do this. Yeah. It was one of those situations I thought, let's, let's just go for it. So did the sabbatical, long story short, um, I got approached to the Ingle book while I was doing that. And then soon after the Tibbs book went to, uh, to publishing, um, then started writing with Boxing Monthly, and then it kind of went from there, and, and that's it. So mm. uh, yeah, here I am, I've now literally um, got number two books coming out at the moment so that's eight books since 2014 now and the, the books you're doing Teresa Tapia one which is the ghost of Johnny Tapia so I've, I've worked with, uh, with with Teresa Tapia on that but um, it's it's all written sort of I guess in, in my voice but um, I want to say a big thank you to Teresa we had long conversations where she was able to shine a torch about um, Johnny his incredible life what an incredible lady 
she is, I have to say this, um, as, as the other half of, of Johnny Tapia to a better extent, um, someone who went off the rails so many times, five times pronounced dead on arrival at hospital, wow. um, a five time three weight world champion with bags of charisma, bags of talent, me but me unfortunately, yeah, am I crazy that's that? it, yeah. Loca. Um, I've just but, bought that book, I've just bought his book. You have? I've, yeah. I've got that, it's right. one, of my yeah. favorite, one of my favorite books. So that, this thing where, isn't that one where he's sort of doing cold turkey, so she has to like lock him in the home? Yeah. Well, I mean, and he's, and he's sort of trying to get out manically. The intro of the book is, I've got, is actually sort of like word for word from her. And um, that, <laughs> that's gonna give you a bit of insight into exactly the first 24 hours of um, Teresa's life. And then that story afterwards, sort of, you know, when they get married and then having to lock him in, etc. cetera, sort of comes out. She got married to, to, to Johnny within a couple of weeks of knowing him. Um, I think wasn't even at the legal age to be able to drink at that point. So couldn't right. go sort of bars with him legally. Um, she had no idea about his boxing form. She had no idea that he had about 26, 27 fights and all his amateur career etc and he was 46 0-1 before his first loss wasn't he that's correct yeah, yeah against Paulie Ayala yeah. the yeah. and they will always contest because Ayala used to sneak so many decisions everyone everyone loved and identified with Tapia but Ayala was one of those guys that just had his number a little bit but he would always like pick and poke away so yeah. they, they, they were contested but I mean that sounds fascinating you got the, the Banky one as well yeah so Paul Banky again so interestingly um, in terms of you know the way of working with people to, to to deliver a script, you know, say for example, Martin Murray, we, we worked at a better part of three years, it was always face to face, it was pretty much zero done on the phone. To be able to look at somebody in the eyes when you ask them a question, engage their response to it, and know if they've maybe got a bit more in the tank to offer still to that question, or maybe you've hit upon a raw nerve. Uh, with Paul Banky, we did the whole book on video. Right. It was a messenger video. And you know what, it worked. Really? Yeah, it did, because I could still really? see the facial expressions on him. So if I was asking a question where I could feel he was fleeting over it, I'd come back to it maybe in a different way, and that was it. And you know what, Paul Banky's a bit of a forgotten hero. Uh, Daniel Zaragoza is one of the most prolific super bantamweights to ever have laced the gloves. And the trilogy he had with Banky is phenomenal. My favorite fight of all time is Eric Morales, Marco Antonio Barrera, number one. Right. And if you can watch the second fight between Banky and Zaragoza, it's really not far off that. It's mano a mano, tearing chunks out of each other. So um, yeah, it was the 29th anniversary of that win for Banky um, on the 23rd of, uh, of, of April, just a few days ago. So, but yeah, again, you know, incredible story, great amateur pedigree, had about, I think it was 176 fights, won about, I think 150. Um, you see, hear all sorts of stories there of the people he was on the squad with, you know, at the Olympic camp, um, going right the way through to um, his struggle with drugs right away throughout his professional career we're talking injecting of um, uh, crack and heroin and, and, and everything and then right to the point where he retires doesn't have a single penny to his name ends up by being homeless living off the streets and then gets arrested for grand theft auto about 18 months after having had his very last fight and um, they can see the trap marks in his arm and ask you know can you do a HIV test Turns out he's positive. Do another one after that, and he's he's got full blown AIDS, mm -hmm. and that was uh, you know 1995, and so he completely went off the rails after that. Back in those days, it was pretty much a death sentence, you know, in the, in the 90s when you're being told you had AIDS, mm -hmm. and um, he he's managed to survive, you know, medication and whatever else. And um, 2014 completely turned his life around, clean, sober, the whole works. 
has been good ever since then been talking to a lot of people influencing them positively and um and yeah so it, it's september it's going to get launched over here and in america we've got a, a, a pitch publishing very kindly collaborated with a, a u.s publisher as well which are doing their bit over there and um looking at a potential launch event in new jersey in october at the moment which i'm looking forward to, to going out to and um yeah listen I, I i wish it does really good not not for commercially for for any other reason but just because people can get to know about a guy who kind of got forgotten in the gutter to a better extent a guy who was genuinely a good fighter went off the rails got some great contributions to the book freddie roach uh, robert garcia which again a little you know torches into into corners he, he used to be sparring partners for both of them wow. he sparred um, freddie roach when he was only 14 and roach was already about 10 or 11 i know as an 18 year old professional um uh, garcia towards the end he was sparring partner for oscar de la hoya up in big bear um all these sort of an anecdotes to come out there so uh so yeah so that comes out in september and then kind of got a few approaches at the moment for the uh, for the next book so um Brilliant. yeah we'll but and also banky it's a human interest story and i i think the, the thing that sometimes people just channel a boxing book and wonder but it's far more than that it's something that you know it's uh appeal to so many different markets and, and speak to people who wouldn't necessarily consider reading a boxing book but it's, it's much more than that when you see all the best stories are stories of redemption aren't they and yeah. that's that's what this banky book is all about so i can't wait for it to Absolutely. come out he, he has you know he always says i have nothing in life he says but he says i'm, I'm clean i'm sober he says no thank god and uh i think in the words of uh, ruben castillo the boxer and um and, uh, and commentator he said if you're ever feeling down call Banky he says he'll give you a hundred thousand pounds of, of a happy and, uh, <laughs> and it's true he, he brings it with him you know he's, and he's he always finishes a conversation by saying you know I love you my brother and and he's uh, he always finishes off with some sort of positive little thing and always asks how you are and um, if he's having a little storm in a teacup it's never anything sort of major you know, he'll, he'll unleash that but he'll always ask you how are you doing how's your family he's uh, just incredibly respectful guy it's been a pleasure to have cross paths with him and being able to work with him and also yeah. this is interesting for you because you've, you've concentrated on sort of British fighters British stories and you've yeah. now switched to the US market which is great because it's a whole new sort of market for you isn't it oh, I mean some of the other guys as well that he used to spar with you know, in Azusa in California um, some of the forgotten champions as well like Zach Padilla I remember him with that fuck that how many punches did he have was that over a thousand punches in that fight. Wasn't he wasn't it? called Zack Attack for nothing. No, no. <laughs> One of his main sparring partners was Sugar Shane Mosley, and those two used to have all-out wars. The only reason I think he only got one loss to his um, his name. He had about he won the title. Had about five or six um, uh, defenses, and uh, and then he ended up I think getting it was a an adverse uh, brain um, uh, what's it called scan. So he had to stop. Right. Another guy that um, Banky fought, and uh, again it's a great story to look up. Hector Lizaraga, and again people would be like who. And the IBF featherweight champion of the world, so he um, he, fit, he fights Banky. I think his record at the time was something like five wins, two or three draws, and seven losses. He fights Banky, loses. How would you say the next ten years pan out for this guy? Yeah, you'd expect him to just, just drop, journey drop off. And, yeah. and that's it. I think it's it's either thirty-one or thirty-three fights unbeaten, wow. and becomes IBF featherweight champion of the world. It's a cracking story right yeah. there. So, but so you start to discover these little golden nuggets along the way. His brother, Steve Banky, could have been unbelievably talented in any respect with it within boxing. And um, you know, his route took a different path as well, but phenomenally talented boxer. 
And uh, Paul Banky always says, oh, he's, he's a more talented boxer, more talented trainer, and whatever else. So yeah, I would have known about none of this if I hadn't spoken with Paul. And uh, you know, Jeff Fennick, another good friend of his. Um, it's, the list, the list is phenomenal. So yeah, I, I hope, I hope the book does well for the sake of Paul Banky that he gets some recognition again. You know, so, uh, fantastic. What about yourself, Mark? What, what, what was, what, how did you get your start into doing writing? Um, like I, was, I was trained to be a journalist and I sort of uh, did work experience back in those days. And I did it at Boxing News and I got on very well with the editor, Harry Mann, who's an absolutely fantastic writer and a really good man. And a lot of people came in, but he just saw something in me. And when uh, I was studying more, going to further education, uh, again, to go into sort of psychology, I just got a phone call out of the blue. It was, job interview at Boxing News, do you want it? And so I, I went along and I got the sort of got the job. So I sort of was a staff writer there. Uh, I was at Boxing News for like four years. Uh, also worked sort of Sky Sports sort of uh, on the uh, OB outside broadcast team every week. So I'd be working boxing sort of seven days a week. I'd be doing the shows for Sky at the weekend. Also I worked at the, uh, Big Fight Live. Uh, I had to be the, you had to have a guy that was, uh, I guess, an expert in quotes alongside Reg Gutteridge just to sort of give him prompts or something. And Reg would make mistakes and you'd have to write something down on a piece of paper and put it under, underneath Reg's chin. You know, we were watching an Eamon Lochran fight in Belfast. He goes, Oh, terrific left hook by Eamon Andrews. And I'm like, Lochran, Lochran. <laughs> <laughs> and you, and, and you, can, you can hear him go, Oh, I meant to say Eamon Lochran. Oh, I'd turn it into a joke. But it, it was great to sort of uh, to, to do that work with uh, Reg and Jim in their pomp. Uh, Jim's such a nice man, a gentleman, and, and obviously Reg had such a sort of rich boxing history. And then I sort of did a documentary called The Hardest Game, radio documentary with Harry Carpenter, uh, which was really good working with him. And then kind of, you know, sort of drifted out of it a bit. Uh, started to have like a very bad first marriage. And uh, sort of got into the internet, but, uh, sort of dot com boom, and started Seconds Out, which is unbelievably still going. But at the time, it had like very big budget, and uh, I edited Audley Harrison's website as well, which is probably the low point. <laughs> <laughs> Just because Audley went from a really nice guy when he was uh, in the amateurs, and yeah, too many people whispering in his ear, and, and he wasn't easy, he wasn't easy to deal with at the time, so. He didn't really want to contribute to his own website, so it was, right. it was funny gleaning stuff out of him. Then sort of took a bit of a break, and um, when sort of Macau sort of seen, oh yeah, um, yeah, did a David, I did sort of press stuff for David Hay and um, Carl Thompson, and did all the media for that as well, but drifted out of that, sort of boxing really, for a few years. And when the Macau scene started up, I thought, oh, it really re-energised me, I thought, I've, I've always wanted to sort of go into the Asian market, so I just started off the hoof, going to Macau and covering those top rank cards. And what I found was I was the only sort of uh, Caucasian rest, rest, Western journalist for most of the promotions. You'd, you'd just be there and just get incredible access right. in the subterranean gym of the of the Venetian uh, Macau, and yeah, interviewed some really good people over there. You know, from Rigando to Nanito Denaire and. And uh, yeah, and so when when that happened, uh, my old friend sort of Lynn Leach got in touch with me and said, "Oh, Mark, thought you were dead, you know." And and uh, said, "No, no, no," and said, "Do you want to you want to sort of do something for for Box the Month?" I said, "Yeah." So what do you want? He said, "Do a Zhu Ming piece." I said, "Fine, yeah." And so I did a Zhu Ming piece, um, 
And from that point, I said to them, you know, do you want anything else? And uh, I just pitched them about 15 ideas and I was on board again, you know, and it was great. And, uh, you know, got some great sort of subjects like Mike Tyson and people like that. And sadly, of course, um, you know, Glenn passed too soon. And I think for so many of us, it's just been keeping Boxing Monthly going because we're not like Boxing News. We don't have any full-time staff. It's, it's basically people scattered all over the world, you know, quality writers like people like Paul, you know, with, you know, great connections, all pulling this, you know, magazine together. Mm. And uh, and I think since we've had a revamp and new owners, you can see the, the, the you know, it's kind of living its best life, I think, in yeah. like Boxing Monthly. So it, it's, it's great and we, we keep it going. And uh, I think what's so good is you just get, you get features, you know, mm. you get features. So you don't have any unnecessary reports of small hall shows that might not be of interest that you can get on the internet. You can open it straight up and you can just get great boxing stories but great human life stories from some of the best writers around. And uh, yeah, that's that's where it's sort of, you know, led up to. And I think we all feel pretty positive about Boxing Monthly at the moment. So yeah. Um, yeah, long may it continue. You know. Sexy new look as well, isn't it? The magazine yeah. looks great. It's it? gone from fish and chip paper. Yeah, it had gone down in quality of uh, paper for yeah. sort of financial reasons under the previous management, but now you know it, it's got that sort of glossy feel, and that, that redesign has made a big difference. And uh, you know, we, we've got quite a nice sort of varied mix of fighters. You know, we have you know people from you know, Asian sort of fighters we're concentrating on great human stories yeah. biggest names and uh, I think it I think it works you know and it's, it's great for Glyn to think that after all these years what it's 30th anniversary this year of Boxing Monthly and it's still going yeah. and when you think we're in the internet era magazines obviously as a genre are on the decline you know and if they are they are sort of digitalised you know to have that sort of hard copy magazine that you can go into a WH Smith and buy it's, it's sort of a rare treat isn't it to have that you know if you're a boxing fan yeah and uh, you know it's, it's just absolutely fantastic it's still still going and going strong what, what would you guys anybody that's making their start in writing uh, writing in particularly um, in particular what would you what would you what advice would you give them what one piece of advice would you say um, I think stay humble for a start I think one of, one of the things that you get so many people that they might do stuff on the internet and they might get some likes or something like that but it's very it's very different from writing uh, a piece uh, that is you know professional and well formed than just writing something that's just going straight on the internet mm. a lot of people are not having any training at all I mean I, I train to be a journalist I sort of work from the sort of bottom I guess and you have to have that sort of grounding usually, uh, and if not, you have the grounding in life that say that, that Paul's had, where he's done, mm. you know, excel at many different sort of professions. Mm. Um, but a lot of people are just going straight in. Video allows you to do that, just to, to film anything. Yeah. So I mean, I think target the publication that you wanna that you wanna be in. Read the different styles of the writers that have got in there. See the kind of the, the way that they kind of uh, present and form their work. Uh, always if you're doing interviews lots of original quotes yeah. uh, you can start off at your local newspaper just offer to do stuff and free you know just to give you a feel of it to attend shows but I think you know target your publication be it Boxing Monthly Boxing News or whatever yeah. and um, yeah just uh, pitch something and if your writing is 
succinct enough and the subject matter is good, the quotes are original, mm. you've got a chance because most people just want to write previews and really previews anyone can write. So, yeah. you know, just, just go for it and, and just be prepared to listen to people and some people will take you under their wing. I was lucky Harry Mullen took me under his wing. Uh, Bob Mee was a tremendous help to me. Lynn Leach was a tremendous help to me. Mm. And if, if they see that you know about the sport and you, you treat people uh, you know, as you want to be treated yourself, you know, they will do that. And you know, there's numerous instances where someone like Paul has encouraged people and, and, that, and, you know, and that, helps, you know, that yeah. helps give people that grounding. Yeah, any, piece, any advice for people, Paul? Yeah, I mean, as Mark was saying, I, um, I'm going to give an example in a moment about sort of stuff I'm doing in prisons at the moment in terms of uh, how I'm totally opposite in terms of Mark's grounding with uh, being a trained journalist because uh, uh, it's something I don't have the, the, the mechanics of, unfortunately. You know, I, I wish I'd uh, paid more attention when I was at school, and I'd say if anyone, you know, if you are at school and you've got the opportunity to you know, get the fundaments of grammar and all the rest of it, then, then do that, it will help you later in life. For me, what got me the opportunity with the writing was volumes. So just jumping on every possible interview opportunity. I remember yesterday I went up to Johnny Garton and shook his hand and I said, I remember when you were at the, um, the Troxy and, uh, and you were like, you're about your third fight and, uh, and I was writing for saying Daily Sport and doing a few lines about what you'd done there. And that's probably one of maybe six or seven pieces I wrote that week, and I was doing that every week, week in, week out. Sometimes interviewing people three or four times a night, even, and then just doing a quick Q and A and putting it on the website. So those volumes and my constant attendance to as many fights as possible got my face known. So at that point, when I was into, when I did go up to a fighter, I went up to a trainer or whoever it was, they'd see my face, and that was it, as opposed to me just going there sort of cold. So over the years, that kind of got me recognised. The other thing I do, a little tip as well, it was um, something I picked up of, um, of, of Bert Sugar. So um, reading about Bert Sugar, who I believe was like a, a trained lawyer, and he started becoming a writer, and he wanted to stand out in the room. So he always had the massive like Cohiba cigar sticking out of his mouth that he didn't always smoke, but it was always there as a trademark, and then the fedora hat. So you'll often see me wearing a flat cap wherever I go, and that's become my, my trademark when I'm out at the boxing, to the point where when I was in Nuremberg, Oh, okay. When um when when I was in Nuremberg last year at the World Boxing Super Series and uh, the, the Smith brothers are there and I went over and shook hands with Paul Smith and said, "How you doing, mate?" Mm -hmm. And I wasn't wearing my flat cap. He yeah. went. He said, "Who are you?" So I said, "Paul's down." He went, "Where's your flat cap?" He actually <laughs> said it. And I thought, "Okay, well, would a trademark obviously work?" So, so that's one of the things. So try and sort of distinguish. So I'm not saying you need to you know wear a certain item, but if you are going to be around something that make people sort of know who you are. Yeah. Um, but coming back to what Mark was saying, listen to what people, good people, you know, who, who can offer advice, take it. If you're given good criticism by good people, take it to heart. The constructive criticism, that's the thing. I mean, if people are trying to help you and just giving you pointers, then that's good. And I think the volume thing is a very good point because Paul puts in a lot of graft. And I, I know that he's a polarizing figure for some people, but Steve Bunce back in the day was everywhere. I mean, you, when you'd be at a show, any gym you'd be, anything fancy was always there, always whispering in someone's ear. And people don't probably see how much work Buncey put in. Mm. And whether you agree with the way he sees, so I generally agree with Buncey on a lot of, lot of things, and some things don't, but uh, the work that he put in, that mm. was not given to him. Yeah. You, know, it, you know, I think that's the one thing is that you do need the knockbacks uh, and you do need, uh, you know, for your grounding. And I, I think sometimes it's, 
such an immediacy to everything now in, in everything we do and people kind of expect it to be given to them because you know they might be a fan of good knowledge but it's more than that and I think yeah. if you do put that work effort in show willing have a bit of writing ability and, and sort of a nose for a story you know th- there's still room for good writers we have room at Boxing Monthly for new people mm. but there's only very few that are are you know going in the right direction there's a couple that we've sort of added recently that have got a lot of promise and you know you can you can see that there's the there's the, the possibility of them sort of going on further but people think that there's, there's an obstacle but with the right willing and the right format you know, and the great thing in a magazine, you can see exactly how we present it. So why not just go by that formula, and then you find a subject and pitch it. The, the style guide there, extremely style guide, yeah. Because I mean, I, I write for a few different people, and it's got to be done in different ways. So if it's say, for example, British Vintage Box and Hannibal or, or Boxing Monthly, it's totally different sort of formats in there. And um, one, one guy I got to say thanks to is uh, Luca Rossi, a very um, long and tooth friend of mine, and um, I think we're actually related along the lines. Wow. Was like third cousins by marriage so, yeah do you know what L- Luca has been an absolutely terrific addition to, to Boxing Monthly because cause how many languages does he speak about 75 yeah. <laughs> because you know you, you'll, 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 you'll get like a Ledger Argo interview and the, the problem when you get you do you interview someone in a foreign language uh, you, you always get something back that's kind of sanitised or diluted from the promoter manager interpreter but with Luca you get the real essence of these fighters so you'll get like a, a Patera or you'll get like a Lecherag and you just get an insight that i just not seen anywhere in boxing journalism and you see he has his unique selling point because he has all these languages he has the knowledge and he's also a quality writer so instantly yeah. he gets in there and it's a no brainer to, to, to have him well he's, he's um, you know all products are environment and what works well I guess for me and Lorca is you know I, I gain a lot of knowledge from his uh his editorial days and whatever else, but also he's kind of a boxing buddy. So we, we're constantly bouncing off. Oh, did you see that fight? You see, and that keeps you sharp in terms of your knowledge, as well. Um, the there was one other thing that's the, the, the prison thing. So um, last year, again, you know, in terms of how this opportunity came about, I, I climbed the mountain. I'm not mentioning that. Oh, I climbed the mountain, and it was uh, I kind of got stung into it. I thought I was going for a long walk in Morocco. That was how it was sold to me, and it turned out bloody crampons climbing Mount Tufkal. So, which was. Uh, the, uh, the, the the toilet. Sorry, is that some sort of uh, for a second? I thought. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, whoever's listening to this, I thought I just I just saw Mark's phone. I thought Manchester United are winning six nil against uh, Chelsea, but it, I now can see it properly. It's nil nil. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to jump on the website there and put a bet of some sort on. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So d- d- whilst walking up this mountain, there's this guy there who um, works in a, a prison. Says, "Do you want to come round to the prison and uh, talk to?" Um, Maybe, maybe the guys there so I went to the, the library I've delivered about six sessions there it was at Thameside I've also gone to Chelmsford brought Jimmy Tibbs to me which is very interesting because Jimmy actually served in there and we first time he'd got to go in Chelmsford to actually go and talk to the prison as well and now I'm going to a, a prison in, in, in Woking and my first line when I go and speak to the prisoners is always this who knows the difference between a verb and an adjective a noun and an adverb and everyone just puts their head down and you can pretty much read what's going through their head which is we've got to listen to this shit for the next three hours you know? <laughs> and I go anyone know the difference and I said no so it's not something I'm proud of but I have no idea what any of those words mean as well all I can say is that if you've got a passion for a subject wherever it may be fishing boxing motor car racing painting shells whatever it may be you can apply that passion and then keep your tools sharp by trying to improve the way you're writing look at the structure like Mark was saying before look at the format that's being written in a magazine or a book etc 
keep improving, keep practicing, you will get better. As long as you have the mentality, and I always like to have what I call the rookie mentality, that no matter how good I've got, no matter how good I've done, there's always room for improvement in there, definitely. Yes, yeah, so I think you really nailed it on the head with passion as well there, because I remember even being like a train going to football, and you'll hear guys who are not maybe the most edu educated guys, but they're just tapping on their football memory, and they have like tremendous knowledge of all these things. Now, if they went into a degree environment and did it on, you know, I don't know, sort of like Manchester United sort of history or something like that, you know, they 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 romp it, they get degrees. But, but but the way we think about it, they go, oh well, history. That that's something that's something of educational merit. Um, but the reality is, if you're interested in something and you're passionate about it, you'll be good at it. Yeah. Here's and a little bit of trivia yeah. for you: Boxing Monthly magazine. It's on the shelf in um, Chelmsford Prison. Is it? Yeah, in 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 Lowe. And it goes a second. It, it's come on there. You know, it's, it's one of the popular magazines on the. Wow. I'm not sure what other along magazines. Along with Razzle. Along with <laughs> and, and, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Do they even still do those? I don't know. It's uh, don't know. yeah. There's something for the viewers to come back to us on. So uh, the, the, the listeners, li listeners yeah. here and yeah. But um, but yeah. So that's that's when I'm when I'm in there and I'm asking them because what I'm doing when I'm going to talk to them is talking about the power of reading and writing. I know it sounds as basic as that may be, but behind bars and you read something or you write it, for those moments you're reading and writing, you can transcend the walls and be somewhere else, doing something different. When you're writing, especially if it's fiction, you can be Usain Bolt running the 100 meters, you can be Messi scoring that winning overhead volley, wherever it may be, you can do that. And with the power of writing, that's it. So it, the other lesson I sort of try and sort of give when I'm there is to say, you've got the sliding doors moment. You got nicked, you ended up behind bars. How can you change what's gonna happen when you walk out of prison? What's going to make the difference in your life? Unless you start to um, educate your mind with scenarios of what you can do and you come out to be different, all you're going to do is revert back to what you did before because that's all you know. So I, I basically try to encourage them to write down a little story. So it's kind of the final exercise when I, when I get ready to leave on the day is in the last half an hour, write me about 500 words about what's going to happen when you come out. So think about the environment changing your physical your, your geographical location the people you're, you're with I'm going to kill the person that put me inside <laughs> that, you know what write, funny enough that, 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 post office yeah, that, has, dead. <laughs> that has been the answer by a few people but, but, um, but ultimately um, what I try and get them to realise that's their mantra and if they can kind of read that to themselves the, the you know what they want to do when they come out then that's it and a few people have been touched by that and they read it out pretty much every night now, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna stop with the drugs, I'm gonna stop with the alcohol, I'm gonna become a better person, blah, blah. And I think it was Manny Stewart once said, if you think too long, you think wrong, but if you think the right things, keep repeating them. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah, good stuff, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for that. Um, and then last thing, we'll just quickly, um, Canelo Alvarez against Danny Jacobs. We've actually spoken about this, uh, this fight before, Paul. Um, what are we thinking about the fight and who are we picking? Well, obviously Canelo um, by decision, you know, obviously because, you know, very strange, before a few years ago or a year and a half ago, before the whole Golovkin sort of Canelo thing, I pointed out to people, have you looked at the Canelo cards and vote? Because no one really was piecing together what was happening. But there was actually a long history of very off-key lopsided cards. like. The Cotto fight is close, but it's like a landslide. Yeah. It was a landslide card against Trout. 
You know, there's always like what, at least one way off card in there. And obviously we had the, 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 the classic one with Mayweather was 114-114. And um, yeah, I, I, I think when you watch Bird in the first fight with Golovkin Alvarez, I looked at her looking and she's only looking at Canelo. You can see the line of sight. She's not looking at she's looking at Canelo. She's only seeing what he's doing. It's a rookie mistake. Consciously or unconsciously. Yeah. And, and I think with the cards, you know, I, I think <clears throat> I think Jacob is a little bit on the slide now as, as he was uh, from when he fought Golovkin. I think he's a little way down. But uh, you can see him in a fight that a number of people think he's done well and pushed it close just to losing on the cards. I mean, but Canelo is, is a terrific fighter. Though there's always got to be the big asterisk about the sort of uh, you know the Mexican meat, and you know yeah. we, we are we, we are guilty of so many people. We brush uh, we, away, we'll brush we? over. Yeah. We'll say Miller's an absolute terrible cheat. Anyone that David Price lost to early Thompson, but at the same time, you know Galahad, Fury, Alvarez. We don't necessarily BJS. we don't sort of really go at them. So I, I think it's widespread. You know, it's more widespread than we think. But yeah. I mean, Canelo is a terrific fighter, and I think he'll win on points. Paul, you. I'm going to go Jacobs, uh, not not to be um, sort of controversial against uh, against Mark, but um, in Vegas, yeah, in I, Vegas. I, I, I just he said um, this to me at the Christmas drinks. Yeah, so I knew this was coming. <laughs> so I, although his last performance wasn't um, a classic, but it was against an opponent which I think everyone has struggled to look good against. And um, now I completely agree with you with, against uh, Golovkin. I thought it was great. I actually had him winning by one round mm. against Golovkin, and um, now Golovkin and Canelo fight similar in terms of flat-footed, come forward great knack of cutting the ring off and can throw bombs and have got great timing very clever their little lean backs and whatever else but um, Jacob showed against Golovkin that he can work on the inside he can take a punch uh, he's got good range um, and he can work the jab extremely well to clock up the points and do what the judges need to see I think that after his last performance he's going to come into this one in the best shape he ever has I think it's not a case of his last chance saloon um, he's, he's still sort of, you know, reasonably fresh, I'd say. But um, I think he's going to relish the fact that he's in Vegas, that he's, he's on, you know, east side versus west side here. But I think he's going to really enjoy that. I think he's going to get great support over there. Uh, it's going to be the whole of America behind him, irrespective of in Vegas. Mm. And um, let's just hope the judges can see it clearly. Mm. Um, let's hope that um, Adelaide Bird's um, goggles, whoever has, has been passed on to, can hopefully uh, clean them up before. She it, was still, I mean, obviously, she's turned out. She was, she was still suggested as the pool yeah. of, of, of judges in there, yeah. which is incredible. I mean, CJ yeah. Ross fell on the sword, and I know, <laughs> I, I know, um, the head of the WC judges, a lovely man called called Hubert, and I remember he spoke to CJ after and sort of said, you know, we do believe in you as a judge, and he felt that maybe that and possibly because she was a woman that is possible in boxing that, that she was vilified a bit too much um, but they do have faith in their judges but equally they do say you know there's some cards where they, they, they do make mistakes you know yeah. um, but uh, I mean it's interesting that they've seen fit they still rate Adelaide Bird and she's still in there yeah. um, but I would have thought that card was, was so way off you know that, that she should, I mean to actually put her in the pool yeah, so that's Bennett, isn't it? The, the, the Nevada State Athletic yeah, Commission Bennett, would, have, yeah. would have put her up, and that's mad that she was in that because obviously that's the last person in the world you want, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think Jacob's going to put on a career best performance. Um, although the WBO global title is not on the line for this one, <laughs> um, 
I, I, I think that he's got enough motivation with the balance of the trinkets that are there. And um, listen, it, it's, a, it's a fight which I'm really, really looking forward to. The one that I was looking forward to the most this year um, has, has been and gone was um, Spence Jr. against Garcia, which uh, obviously didn't go out the way that I thought it would. Um, but I, I genuinely think this is far more competitive and um, win, lose or draw, I can't, I can't wait for it. It's a fantastic fight. I get deciding vote then, do I? Um, mm. I'm picking Canelo. I think mm. Canelo's, I think Canelo's in the form of his life. Um, I agree with Mark. I think Danny Jacobs looks on the slide. The last two fights, I thought obviously the Devranchenko fight was tough, um, but the Arias fight, he didn't look great. Um, he just doesn't look the fighter that fought Golovkin. I thought he beat Golovkin that night. Um, but I think Canelo's in the form of his life, and I think he's going to get him out of there. I think he's going to stop him uh, around 9 10, something like that. That's, mm. yeah. yeah. I think the Rocky Fielding fight was pre almost preparation for fighting a much taller guy. I think that's why he took that fight, as well as the I cheek think he belt. Just took it, yeah, because he and wanted another belt. weight division on his, yeah. on his legacy, really. But I think it helps fighting the taller guy as well. Um, obviously, nowhere near the level of Danny Jacobs. If he wants to take on Callum Smith, then let him know. You know uh... Yeah, I know, I know. We'll see. Yeah, so where is Callum Smith? By the way, well, Callum, uh, the reason why Callum's just had a baby, yeah, and, and so they, I think they're, they're always thinking that it'll be something around May, but that's sort yeah. of still kind of not happened. Yeah. So obviously it's drifting on a bit. But best yeah. super middleweight well for me, yeah, yeah, definitely, 100%, definitely. Yeah. I mean, but it's not the yeah. strongest division, it has to be said. But no, definitely not, on the basis no. of the yeah. way he took Groves apart. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. I think George Groves was number one, and I think Callum yeah. beat him, and that makes him number one. Yeah. Hundred percent. And a nice guy with it as well. Really nice yeah, man. Yeah, really nice man. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, chaps. That was that was fantastic. I may even split it into two podcasts. <laughs> it was that good. Um, thank you so much. Um, yeah. Thanks, Callum, for leading the, uh, the, the boat. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.